power of king, parables of Jesus, but one of uh, just dynamic power. So let's read it together. Mark chapter 4. I hope you have your Bibles. We're going to turn to several passages of Scripture today, and I hope that you'll be able to turn with me and read along with me as we study together. Mark chapter 4, verse 30 through 32. Mark chapter 4, verse 30 through 32. Scripture says this. Again, Jesus said, what, we, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parables shall we use to describe it? He said that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. This morning I just want to talk to you about the power of kingdom increase uh, as it's described in this passage of Scripture. Now I believe that everybody here, everybody here and everybody anywhere uh, just is born with the capability of dreaming and, and planning and focusing their life uh, on something that will last outlive themselves. There are very few people, I think, that grow up with a dream, I just want to be mediocre. I just want to be average. I don't really want to, uh, you know, tip the scales or get anybody ticked off. I just kind of want to go through life uh, and just chill my entire life. Now, once we move into the adult stage, too many of us uh, kind of roll into that philosophy. But as a child, I believe everyone is born with that desire to do something great with their lives. I believe everybody lives to build a kingdom. Some people live to build their personal kingdom. You know, it's about their portfolio or the house that they live in or the job uh, that they have to make a name for themselves. But there are other individuals, and these are the individuals that I want to inspire you toward this morning, are the type of individuals who live to build the kingdom of God and who live to make God's name great among people around them all over the world. This last parable of Jesus in Mark chapter 4 really is about that second group of people. They are the disciples who understand what Jesus is talking about when he talks about a seed being planted and then mushrooming into incredible growth. They understand that of all the kingdoms of this world, there's only one kingdom that is going to last all time in throughout all eternity, and that's the kingdom of God. And after all the rest of the kingdoms of the world are past that kingdom, the kingdom of God will still be growing and excelling throughout all of eternity. And that second group of people also knows that there is absolutely no higher purpose that a person can have for their life individually or for their lives as a family than building the kingdom of God. This morning, the the teaching is designed to do just two things. Number one, I want to encourage you. I really want to encourage you to dream kingdom increase kind of dreams. Maybe you've stopped dreaming a long, long time ago, or, or maybe you've given up on a dream that you had dreamed one time and it's just been too hard to accomplish uh, that will allow the kingdom uh, to increase through your life. And I just want to encourage you to continue to dream kingdom-sized dreams. But then secondly, I want to inspire you today. And what I want to do, I just want to inspire you with uh, God's faithfulness to some specific people who are in our lifetime expanding the kingdom of God all around our state and our nation 
and in our world. So I just want to talk to you about two things today. I want to talk about kingdom dreams and then kingdom dreamers. First of all, let's talk about kingdom dreams as it's described in this section of Scripture. Now in verse 30, Jesus compares the growth of his kingdom to what happens to a mustard seed. You probably know that uh, during Jesus' time, the mustard seed was kind of an image for the smallest seed. It wasn't actually the smallest seed. Uh, There were other seeds that uh, were tinier, but it was a a proverb. It was kind of an analogy that everybody understood. It was talking about the smallest seed. And Jesus talks about what happens when a person sows that smallest seed. See, verse 30 says, again Jesus said, what shall I say the kingdom of God is like? Or what shall I say I use to describe it? Parable shall I use to describe it? He said, it is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. There are four words I want to give you out of this parable. The first is already on the uh, the board, and it's the word small. The word small. A kingdom dream always begins small and oftentimes begins quite strange. In the Bible, we read about individuals who God gave kingdom dreams to, that people around them looked at them and must have thought, that is nuts, so for you to even be thinking that you could accomplish something like that. You might remember in 1 Samuel chapter 17, God gave a kingdom dream to a kid bringing a lunch to an army on a battlefield. The guy's name was David. He was a young boy. And God built into his mind, through you, I can take out the enemy. David went and grabbed five small stones, you remember, put one in a sling, and killed Goliath on the battlefield and brought a a victory for Israel against the Philistines. Mark chapter uh, chapter 6, one of my favorite boys in all the Bible uh, is described. uh, Actually, he's described there, uh, though he's named in John chapter 6. At least we're told that he's a young boy. And in that story, I believe God gave in the mind of a little boy through the challenge of the apostles uh, of Jesus, the dream, a kingdom dream, to give his lunch to Jesus. You might say to yourself, that's not much of a dream. Give up your lunch to Jesus. Well, I got to tell you, anybody's a a young kid and it's hot and it's, uh, you're hungry. Uh, To give up your lunch to somebody else is a massive thing. But this young boy did. And you remember the story, Jesus took that little lunch and expanded it and actually increased his fame and increased his kingdom by feeding 5,000 people. Do you remember Esther in the Old Testament? She was a young queen. The way she was chosen is odd to us, and you can read the book of Esther. It's a fascinating story. But she was chosen to be queen, not of Israel, but of a foreign nation. The foreign nation, the nationals there, began persecuting the Jews, Esther's people. And Esther had not divulged who she was or who her people were or her connection to them. And she was told, Esther, perhaps the dream you should be dreaming is that you have been born and placed into this position for a time just like this. You remember that story? It's a remarkable story. And I would commend you to the book of uh, Esther to read that story. Or in Luke chapter 1, an angel came to a young uh, girl, 13, 14, 15 years old. Her name was Mary. And the dream was this, 
Mary, if you will be faithful to me and humble before me, I'll give you a son. You're going to name him Jesus. And that son will bless all the people in the world. Folks, we owe so much to young dreamers, just like kids in our, in our uh, attendance this morning, who are willing to dream huge dreams for God and then step out to accomplish them. Maybe God has or is whispering a kingdom dream to you. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's to start a new evangelistic ministry through this church. Or maybe it's a a dream of discipling one other person to become more like Jesus. For some, maybe it's to become a missionary or or to go into full-time ministry. I don't know what that dream is. But there are a couple things I want you to understand about kingdom dreams. Number one, your and I guarantee this, your kingdom dream will always be rejected by people of lesser faith around you. When you begin sharing what God is putting into your heart, there will be people of lesser faith around you saying, that's ridiculous. It'll never happen. You can't do something like that. Why would you imagine that God would put such an idea in your head? But also, kingdom-sized dreams are always seem impossible by human means. You know why they seem impossible by human means? Because they are impossible by human means. I want you to take your, uh, put your finger right here in this section of Scripture and go to the next book, to the book of Luke in the first chapter, and I want you to read one statement that God gives to Mary, a young dreamer about God's capability to work through her. The statement is found in verse 37 of Luke chapter 1. God's already said, you're going to have a son. Your relative Mary, uh, Elizabeth, is also pregnant, and she's going to have a son as well. And in verse 37, it speaks right into this idea of things being humanly impossible. When the angel speaks to her and says, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. You ought to highlight that verse of Scripture in your Bible. Because, friends, that is the very commodity out of which God builds His dreams and brings them to fruition. Yes, everyone else may say you're nuts. Everyone else may put you down. You look at your dream and you say, I don't have the human capability or resources or income to bring this about. And, folks, can I tell you, that is what a kingdom dream is all about. If you can do it, you don't need God. You don't need God. But if God is building into you a dream so big that it will require Him working to bring it about, folks, keep on dreaming. Keep on working. Go back to Mark chapter uh, 4. There's a second word that I want you to notice. The first is the word small. The second is the word planted. Planted. In verse 32, this is what it says. It says, uh, verse 31 says, it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the garden, in the ground. Yet when it is planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. When it is planted. Folks, I think there's a, a lesson for us in that, that word, planted. And the lesson is this, unless a dream is planted, It just withers on the vine. I've heard it said anybody takes a shower uh, has had a good idea. Anybody had a great idea in the shower? 
The, the issue is, unless you get out of the shower and do something with your dream, plant your dream, it will never come to fruition. There are two passages of Scripture that I want you to look at with me that give four very important keys uh, to planting and bringing about growth through our dream. Turn with me, uh, and put a bookmarker here, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter, and I want you to look at a parable that Jesus, another parable that Jesus teaches, uh, and really it's it's a parable about God dreaming into a person's life and giving them the opportunity to fulfill that dream and bring it about in his life, but I want you to notice uh, four things uh, in in this section of Scripture. Three uh, in this, and then in one other passage, one other key. The first key is this. God will only give you a dream that he has designed exactly for you. I'll say that again. God will only give you a dream that he has designed specifically for you. You see, God knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything there is about you. He knows where you're strong. He knows where you're weak. He knows how he has created you. He knows the gifts that he's given you, the passions that you have, your natural capabilities. And God only gives dreams, specific dreams, to people that he sees has the capability of pulling them off. That's what it says in chapter 25 and verse 14 and 15. It says, Jesus said again, again, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusted his property to them. Watch verse 15. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents of money, and to another one talent of money, each according to his ability. God only gives dreams to individuals because he knows what they are made of. To one five, to one two, to one one. Our problem is oftentimes we complain about what God gives us and we are hoping that we would have a different dream. I wish I could do this or that or something else. But the issue is God knows you and he's built a dream into your life based on the capabilities that you have. Key number two that we see in this passage of Scripture, God expects you to plant, not hide, the dream that He's given you. God expects expects you to plant, put it into practice, into use, not hide the dream that He's given you. Verse 16 to 18. Verse 16 says, The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and and, uh, gained five more. Also, the one who had two talents gained two more, but the man who received only one talent went off, and he dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, we're going to find out how God thinks about how we use our talents, but what I want you to understand is this. God expects you to plant that talent, to put it to use, to invest what he has given you, not to waste it, not to hide it, not to bury it uh, 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 away in a closet somewhere and not put it to use. Third thing we see in this passage of Scripture is that God will have a day of reckoning for what He's given you. You may say to yourself, you know, yeah, maybe God's given me this dream, but 
I just don't want to do it. I, you know, I, I, just, I just don't want to accomplish what I know God's given me in my mind to, to do. Let's see what God has to say about this and his day of reckoning. Pick up a reading with, with me, if you would, verse 19. It says, For a long time, after a long time, the master of those servants returned, and he settled accounts with them. There will be a day of settling, is the idea. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. And his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. You come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. And his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering uh, where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I haven't sown and gathered where I haven't scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with bankers so that when I returned, at least I would have received it back with interest. Take that talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has has will be given more and, and you have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Three, pen, uh, three keys that we understand from this section of Scripture. Number one uh, is we find out that God will only give you a dream that He has specifically designed you for. Number two, God expects you to plant, not hide the dream that He's given you. And number three, God will have a day of accounting. But there's another passage of Scripture and one other key that I want you to notice. Go with me over to Mark, uh, I'm sorry, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John chapter 12. Everybody turn there. The Gospel of John chapter 12. And I want you to notice this section of Scripture where Jesus once again talks about seeds. And he talks about planting. And he talks about harvesting. John, uh, John chapter 12 and verse 23 down to verse 25. John chapter 12 and verse 23 to verse 25. Notice what it says. It says, uh, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The Son of Man who loves, uh, uh, the man who loves his life will lose it. But the man who hates his life in this world will keep it. For eternal life. What's the key in this section of scripture? Surrender. Surrender is the only way to fulfilling God's dream for you. Surrender. Dying to yourself. Finding a place of discomfort because it's always difficult to fulfill a dream. Putting aside your dream so that you can uh, dream a greater dream for God. All of those have to do with surrender. Word number one, as you go back with me to Mark chapter 4, word number one is the word small. Dreams always start small. Word number two is planted. 
Dreams must be planted before anything good will ever be accomplished by them. Word number three is the word grows. The word grows. Read it with me in verse 33. Uh, Verse 31, 33, uh, uh, and 32. It says, The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when it is planted, it grows. It grows. It grows. Kingdom dreams take time, sometimes years to be accomplished. This is what I've learned. The bigger the dream, the longer time in linear fashion that it takes to fulfill that dream. But I want you to understand that since kingdom dreams always focus on God's spiritual kingdom, they will always come with a spiritual battle. Because Satan will oppose anything with pain or with illness or with heartache to prevent you from staying on task and accomplishing your dream. Mountain climbers always know that the toughest part of the climb is the last few meters to the top. Not the beginning part of the climb, but the last few meters to the top, to the summit. And most quit just below the summit because that's where it really begins to get tough. You may be saying to yourself right now, Man, I don't want to dream a God-sized dream. I got enough problems in my life right now. You know, I don't know how I could handle anything else in my life. I got so many problems right now. I just want to focus on dealing with my problems and somebody else can fulfill God's kinds of dreams. Well, if that's your attitude, or if it's not, I want you to go with me, put a bookmarker here, back to the book of Matthew one last time, and I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 7, Uh, a parable that Jesus ends, closes out the uh, Sermon on the Mount with. Matthew chapter 7, I I think this is fascinating that Jesus does this. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Jesus says this. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came... And the winds rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rains came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I was going to ask you the question, what is the similarity between the two builders and Jesus' story? What is it? Number one, they both build houses. But what's the other thing? They both had problems, right? Just because you built your house on solid foundation does not mean you're not going to have struggles and problems in your life. But folks, I want you to understand that you're going to face storms whether you're building into God-sized dreams or not. But this is the question. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, is it your dream just simply to get to heaven and say, I survived and I'm here? Or is it your dream to say, I accomplished the dream that God built into my life? And perhaps as a result of that, there are tons of other people 
in heaven with me. You see, that's the difference between a person that buries their dream and they, yeah, they're a Christian and yeah, they'll get to heaven and yeah, they, they'll be excited to be there. There won't be another soul around them that's there because of what they did. The person that fulfills those God-sized dreams is the person that watches those dreams grow into fruition and amazing things take place. Go back to Mark one last time. Last time I promised I asked you to turn to passage scripture, but I want you to notice this last word, and it's the word becomes. Becomes. In verse 31 and 32, this is what it says. The kingdom of God is like mustard seed, which is the smallest seed planted. And it grows uh, that you plant in the ground. Yet when you plant, uh, when, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. Now, that's not the largest tree, but it's the largest of shrubs in the garden, uh, largest of vines, largest uh, uh, plants in the garden, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in, sh- uh, perch in its shade. A couple of things you need to know about mustard seeds. Mustard seeds were known in Palestine as weeds, all right? They, they were known as weeds, big weeds. Uh, it, now, I don't know what the scientific na- name of this weed is, but my mama uh, used to call it a stinkweed. And uh, uh, it, it's a, a weed that, that's got a hollow core uh, to it, and uh, it grows up. And one week when you're out, uh, you know, mowing in your woods or your, uh, your, garbage, uh, your, your uh, garden or whatever, it might be this tall. And the next week you come back and it's this tall. And two weeks later, it's taller than your house. You know, that's a stinkweed. It's got great big uh, leaves on it. I was out uh, weed-eating in the, in the woods behind my house, and I thought, hmm, this is just yesterday. I thought, well, I thought I just cut all these weeds down last Saturday, and I must have missed some because there were some that I thought, these rascals are bushes now. You know, what, what happened? That's a mustard seed. Man, they are grown, and they explode in growth. Everybody understood that when Jesus said this. What the seed becomes is the whole point of the story. And I want you to understand that while you can't see what God's seed in you can become, God can see it. And while you can't imagine how many birds, those are people, by the way, who will come and rest in the branches of the dream that you have dreamed, God can dream it. And while you can't uh, even begin to put in place where the birds and the branches of your plant will scatter that seed too, and who else will be influenced and impacted by your dream? God can dream it. Folks, I want you to be encouraged to dream. I don't care whether you're 10 years old or 20 years old or 80 years old. Never ever, ever stop dreaming. Ever stop dreaming. Never retire from God's process of dreaming kingdom-sized dreams. Secondly, I just want you to be inspired by by the stories of some kingdom dreamers. Some folks that just said, man, I'm going to dream a dream so big, so ridiculous that uh, it can only happen if God could bring it about. In the mid-1990s, my good buddy, Dave Heilman, if I brought Dave Heilman, the executive director of, the, uh, uh, of uh, 
the VEF, Virginia Evangelizing Fellowship, and brought him up on the stage here, you would look at him, bald-headed, and say, he's the biggest geek I've ever seen in my life. And he is. Dave's a great friend of mine. We bicycle together a lot. We pray together a lot. We talk together uh, regularly a lot. I've, I've served on the VEF board for a lot of years. But Dave, back in the 1990s, not some cool, young, hip dude, but this, this geeky-looking character. I, I should have brought his picture. I mean, he, you just say, uh, you know, pen pals. I, that, that's the guy. Okay, that's the guy. But Dave had a dream. And he said, what if we in the VEF began working hard and selecting spots to plant churches strategically? And what if we planned and selected church planters in a way that uh, we would match them with the communities that they would go in? And what if we could plant churches on the edge of communities as they're growing? What if that could happen? In the mid-1990s, that first church was planted in Stafford County, Virginia. I wasn't part of the VEF uh, and leadership team at that time, but I was when the second church plant came along. And that was uh, up in Centerville, Virginia. Uh, New Life Christian Church. Well, since that time, in the 1990s, the VEF has planted 21 churches, not just here in Virginia, all across Virginia, but also in North Carolina and uh, and in Maryland as well. And from that dream of one geeky guy, I mean, he's the geekiest guy in the world, One dream, 21 churches were planted, and on Easter Sunday this year, 11,757 folks attended those churches. I think that deserves an applause. I really, really do. Man, that is unbelievable. That's a dream. That's a dream. But as a result of that, as a result of that, the ICON, the International Conference on Missions, as they were trying to plan where they're going to have that next conference in 2015, it's a conference of about seven, eight, ten thousand 10,000 people. There'll be missionaries and Bible college students and people interested in missions all over uh, the world. Uh, they selected Virginia, specifically Richmond, Virginia, to host that conference. Why? Because the theme for that year is going to be church planting. Church planting. Nobody in the country is doing a better job than the VEF in planting churches that are surviving and multiplying and growing anywhere in the country. I can just, you just got to believe me on that. About two years ago, two guys met in our prayer room. In our prayer room. And we began to think and to dream and say what could happen as a result of uh, all these people coming to Richmond. Well, we could have a nice conference, send everybody home. Or we could challenge churches all across Virginia with a dream way too big for anybody to be able to pull off. What if these two guys dreamed? What if we could plant seven churches, one here in Virginia, Northern Virginia, an ethnic church, and six other churches one on every inhabited continent of the globe as a result of that conference. Folks, what's going to happen? Icon 2015, church planters will be marched across the stage and they will be given money. We have already collected over a quarter million dollars uh, toward this process and they will be given money to go back to their assigned place and plant a church. Why? 
All because somebody dared to dream a dream that was too big for anybody to do that only God could accomplish. I want to show you a picture of another dreamer. In fact, it's a series of uh, pictures. Go to the next slide. Uh, Right here in the center is a picture of a lady that some of y'all know. Her name is Madonna Burgett Spratt. Richard, I think, help me on this, I believe uh, she was our first missionary or one of our first missionaries in the church that we began supporting. Uh, And we've supported her from day one, uh, Madonna uh, Burgett Spratt. Now, Madonna, right here, uh, I got to tell you, she's in her mid to late 80s, okay? Uh, Mid to late 80s. And uh, she lives uh, right outside of Puerto Cortez, uh, Honduras. Now, she didn't start her missionary work there. She started in Africa. Uh, then she moved to India, and then she felt God's call to go back to Mashoko Christian Mission uh, in India. But in 1983, Madonna Burgett Spratt, she wasn't even married at the time, uh, she had a dream in her mind. She said, I just knew that God wanted me to go to Honduras. I'm thinking, Honduras? I don't speak Spanish. I don't know anything about Honduras. But I just felt like God, that's where God wanted me to go. She said, I believe God wanted me to select San Pedro Sula, uh, Honduras as the place to go, and God directed her to the mountains above San Pedro Sula, Honduras. She's a medical missionary. She started a clinic, she started teaching uh, Sunday school, and she planted a church. Well, she had in her mind, because the young girls in the mountains Uh, Once she got past about the age of 9 or 10, school was done because in the mountains they just didn't believe that it was worth educating uh, a young girl in those days and even to today. I've been there. But she decided that what she would do in San Pedro Sula, she would start a girl's home. And she would bring these young teenage girls and bring them there and give them a a place to live uh, and uh, uh, then uh, go to school, go to high school. Some of those girls became doctors. There's one that became a lawyer. Some are teachers. And one became a minister's wife. Maritza uh, Noriega. Daniel Booth and I had the chance to meet her, and he was there when we took this picture about three years ago. Now, I share all of that to simply say this. Last summer, we had the opportunity, a mission team from here, Uh, to be in this church right here. This is Maritza. This is her husband, Luis, pastor of this little church. It's a tiny little church. But after about, uh, Daniel, it's been now, going on, uh, is it three years now that that church, two two full years that church has been going on. I'm sorry? The church is three years old. church is three years old. And just this spring, their very first baptism took place. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, doesn't that excite you? Doesn't that excite you? You're saying to yourself, good grief, three years, one dream, uh, that long to baptize somebody into Christ. I want to tell you something, that lady's going to be thrilled with that because she's going to be in heaven, all right, as a result of that. In the summer of 2001, I began hearing God's voice to see one of the 7,000 unreached people groups of the world brought to Christ through our influence here at Chester Christian Church. You realize there are over 2 billion people that have never heard the name of Jesus before in our world, never even heard his name before. But I had the dream that God wanted us to focus our church on reaching one of those groups. How short-sighted I was because God has multiplied that uh, in an incredible way. 
Now, Daniel and I had the opportunity a couple years ago to uh, go to Honduras, and as we were traveling there and we met Tom Schneller, uh, Tom introduced me to an even bigger vision, and that was reaching unreached people groups in the world. What I did not know was that Tom had a ministry in the nation of Nepal right inside the 1040 window. It would be a long-time dream of mine uh, to, to be able to reach an unreached people group somewhere within that 1040 window, a place where people just don't know Jesus at all. And what I want you to understand, next slide, go ahead, Courtney. What I want you to understand is that next April, a team of us from Chester Christian Church, April 11 through 21, are going to be somewhere in the nation of Nepal constructing one of these rascals. It's an internet training facility. You see a team of Bible college students here building one. You're saying, well, it's not much. It'll look like this, but it will be filled with these. Notice their faces are all covered. There's a reason for that. Because they'll go to jail. They'll go to jail for propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ. In uh, April, uh, April 2015, a team of us from right here in Chester are going to be headed to Nepal. We've already got four people signed up on the team, but we need several others that would be courageous and say, man, I want to buy into that dream. I want to dream something huge because I can tell you what's happening in Nepal. They're like the Mexicans of the Middle East. They'll travel anywhere and do any kind of menial service in nations like Saudi Arabia or Qatar, uh, uh, even into Afghanistan, uh, into Pakistan, into India, and do menial jobs all with the purpose of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ there. Folks, do you get the dream? That we, us, could impact our world for Christ and bring people to Jesus who as of today have never heard his name before. Would you consider being part of that team? I'm going to be over at the cross here at the end of the service and you can come talk to me and say, hey, I'd at least like to uh, hear more about that. Or you could be part of helping to fund those who are going on the team and there's a couple of us right here uh, present this morning in, in this service right now. Well, dream. Dream. That's what children are all about, dreaming big dreams. And folks, I want us to be a church of dreamers, a church of people who say, I will try the impossible, and I may fail, but I'm going to try anyway. This morning we're going to sing a song, and uh, I have a prayer, and uh, we're going to serve communion to you, and I just want you to remember, as you're receiving the Lord's Supper this morning, Would you remember that Jesus going to the cross was all about God's dream for you? All about his dream for you. Because he wants you to be in heaven with with him. And he's been dreaming of that for an eternity. Let's pray together and uh, let's receive communion. Father God, help us during communion this morning to remember your incredible dream for us. A dream to become uh, people who uh, know Jesus as Savior of our lives. And we just thank you very much, Lord, for the uh, sacrifice that you made on the cross for us through Jesus. As we eat the bread this morning, as we drink the juice this morning, take the cup, put it back in the cup holder. I just pray, Father, that you will help us to remember your dream for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Receive the Lord's Supper this morning.